Hello and Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. We're making a few changes in the new year, including some new sponsors and a new way of going about our introduction, including cold introductions here at the start of each podcast. One other change that we're making is inviting all of you to come on our podcast and do race reports as we've done in the past. You may recall a few years ago, prior to lockdown, that we used to have folks come on and talk to us a little bit about their training, a little bit about their expectations, a little bit about some of their nervousness about an upcoming target race. And then we'd have them on again after the race was over, and they'd talk to us about how the race went, whether they met their goals, and whether their fears about the race were realized. We also talked a little bit about what they might have done differently, what they learned from this experience, and of course, what they're going to do next. If you have a race that you're willing to come on to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast and discuss with us, I encourage you to reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. That's pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. And let us know about your race. I will write you back and we will set a time to get together, record, and hear a little bit more about all that you have going on. This podcast today is going to be focused on our book of the quarter. Uh, as you all know, we read Running Wild Black by Allison Mariella Desir. Uh, it was an interesting book we all read, and we had what I consider to be a pretty solid conversation about it today. Uh, please share your thoughts with us as well on Facebook, on Twitter, or of course via email. We look forward to hearing what you had to say. Okay, on with 2023 and another year of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. We appreciate you being a part of it. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel Advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITO coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITO takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITO coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itocoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the most pleasant exhaustion podcast.
Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and High Echelon. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor and I'm a father of twin boys. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a CPA, the owner of High Echelon, and I'm a mom to three girls. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father to three college students and the husband to a beautiful wife who is on an airplane in California. (laughs) Awesome. Very good. Happy New Year, my friends. How are we doing? Doing well. Doing really well. Seems like 2022 is uh, both the shortest and the longest year of my life. (laughs) So, well, and it's also. It's also now in the rearview mirror. So uh, so this is our first podcast, our first time getting together on the podcast here in 2023. Um, and so I am excited to wish you both a very happy new year here. Um, I guess we should, should start off with some new year type things, both changes to the podcast and a couple of other things. Um, but undoubtedly, what we need to do first is that strength work check-in. How are you doing on your strength work resolution there, Michelle? I would say, you know, I'm at 100%. There you All go. All right. Very good. Hey, well, that's good. That's good. Um, I am glad tomorrow is Quitters Friday, Friday the 13th. We're recording this on Thursday the 12th. Uh, I am glad that I did not make a strength resolution because I undoubtedly would have broken it by now. But I have done like little small bits of strength, probably four of the last 11 days. And so that's that's not terrible, but, you know, certainly, certainly sure. not resolution worthy and certainly not, you know, batting a thousand like you are. Yeah, I spent a very small amount of money, maybe $69 on an actual bench, which I put in a room where I have all my kettlebells and free weights and mats. So yeah, I've put a few runs on the treadmill and then kind of thrown a strength work in on that day on more of, I guess, what's technically a cross training day for me. Um, And it's hard. It's it's not very motivating to go in there and <laughs> and do that stuff. Um, but so far, I've I've done it once a week. So how many weeks have we been this year? Two. Two. <laughs> yeah, I feel I feel real good about myself. <laughs> so, so two out of two, absolutely, very good, Eric. I don't really even feel like I need to ask you. When we talked about it on the last podcast, you were saying that that with the setup in your basement, you were good and everything, right? You're you're doing your strength work. You're you're following your resolution so far. I'm killing it. I'm absolutely <laughs> killing it. I'm enjoying it too. So good I've to got hear. another one lined up for tomorrow. So, yep. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. I am doing extremely well on my resolution to include a current pop song in all the playlists I make for my <laughs> Wednesday morning trainer group workouts. Uh, and so I, I've, I've been quite, quite impressed with myself on that so far. I've had two opportunities to do that and I've batted a thousand so far. So, so yeah. All right, so let's talk about big changes to the podcast itself, too. Well, maybe not big changes. Well, maybe one big change, and that would, of course, be our new sponsor. Uh, We are now sponsored by High Echelon, thanks to the owner and founder of High Echelon, Miss Michelle Frank. Michelle, thanks for coming on as a sponsor. You're welcome. I wanted to be a sponsor six months ago, but you made me wait till 2023. (laughs) So, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> awesome awesome well uh we appreciate everything that you do for the podcast of course and uh I, I am honored to have the opportunity to to brag on high echelon during the the intro of every podcast moving forward here something else that we're going to change here for uh 2023 is we are going to bring back the race report podcast that we've done in the past um those kind of got knocked out by the pandemic because racing in general got knocked out by the pandemic. Um, but if you recall, those of you who have been listening to the podcast for uh, a couple of years, 
we used to always invite people onto the podcast and they would meet with me and talk with me about a goal that they had prior to the race and how their training had gone and and all that sort of thing. And then they would go off and race and then they'd come back afterwards and talk about how uh, the race actually went for them and whether their training tended to work for them, what they learned from the experience um, and, and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and so we're reinstituting that. And so let me encourage those of you who uh, have big races on the calendar this year in 2023, uh, reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com um, and let us know what your big races are and whether you're willing to come on on to the podcast and talk about them. Um, that's something I've really enjoyed in the past. Um, and in fact, there's more than one race that is on my calendar, even for the next year or so. Uh, that is because we had people come on to the podcast and talk about their them doing the race. Um, and that made me actually want to do it as well. Um, so Allison Mercer uh, talked about, about Strolling Gym, and I'm doing Strolling Gym this year. Uh, uh, Zumi Yamashita came on the podcast a couple of years ago and talked about uh, Boston to Big Sur, and I, I want to do Boston to Big Sur next year. But uh, but yeah, if you have a big race this year, uh, make sure that you uh, reach out to us. Again, pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, come on the podcast and talk to us about us. That would be a lot of fun. It'd be a lot of fun. All right. What better way to start 2023 than by talking about the book of the quarter, a book brought to us by Michelle, uh, Running Wild Black by Allison Mariella Desir. Michelle, you had mentioned when we first chose this book that you had met Allison Desir before because she got a job with Wazell and was working with Wazell for a little while. And you, of course, have a relationship with Wazell. Um and, and and we were th thinking about maybe reaching out to her to come onto the podcast and talk to us as we've had people come uh, and talk to us in the past, but we didn't. Can you That's talk right. a little bit about that? Sure. I followed her book launch pretty closely. And in some of the more recent podcasts, she mentioned that the book tour um, just had been a whirlwind and she was taking a bit of a, you know, a sabbatical you know, I didn't want to be disrespectful to what she had said and the fact right. that she was taking some downtime from interviews and just needed to regroup and be with her family. Yeah, exactly. So we, we wanted to be respectful of the fact that that she has a family and, and she needs to keep things in balance and that her mental health is important, uh, particularly given the fact that those were themes that came up in the book. Um, and so I think that we, we probably will reach out to her over the course of the next uh, few weeks here um, once her January is done. Um, and, and once she kind of comes back from sabbatical here to see if she can come on to the podcast and talk to us. Um, we, uh, we are probably not going to be able to, to really process and, and come to a lot of conclusion on the various things that she discussed in her book entirely today. Um, I know for myself, I'll be continuing to think about these sorts of things for the next several months at large. Um, and so if she comes on in February or in March or in April, um, I think that, that these things will still be, hopefully these things will be, still be front of mind for me. Um, and I think that's probably true for Eric and Michelle as well. Um, so Running While Black was all about growing up as a Black woman in what scholars often call and what she calls throughout the book, white spaces. Um, and white spaces are places where the norms and the unspoken rules and the culture have been heavily influenced by our country's history of white supremacy. Uh, the bulk of the United States are white spaces. And given that, that white spaces are informed by white supremacy, 
such spaces tend to be very condescending and dismissive of Black people. Um, needless to say, she struggled a lot throughout her childhood uh, to feel welcome and to feel home in places that, as the subtitle of the book suggests, uh, weren't built for us. Um, eventually, the stress and the strain of navigating all these white spaces, she grew up in New Jersey, and then she went on to college at Columbia, they caught up with her sort of constantly feeling all these racist pressures to act in certain ways, um, ultimately contributed to a period of depression uh, just after college, during which time she had a hard time doing really anything more than just scrolling through social media. And so it was one day while she was scrolling through Facebook um, that she saw a post from an African-American friend, a, a male who was running a marathon. Um, and she kind of got sucked into it because she had never really seen anything like that before. She had run track when she was in school, but she was a sprinter uh, to her. As I can comfortably say it was for me growing up in the 1990s and is largely still true throughout a lot of the United States today, um, black people were supposed to be sprinters and white people were supposed to be distance runners. So to see a black person, a friend of hers, no less, actually posting like a lot of us do on social media about getting his long run in and getting up early in the morning and, and doing tempo runs and all that sort of thing kind of shook her world a little bit, kind of blew her mind. And so she decided if he can do it, well, maybe I should should try and do it as well. And she experienced what a lot of us have experienced before when we start taking part in endurance sports. It lifted her out of depression. It enriched her life in general, and it made her overall a happier and healthier person. She struggled, though, because running is and was, when she started running, such a white space to find a good running group. Um, and so ultimately, she started her own called Harlem Runs, and she writes a lot about the different things that she faced uh, as she was starting Harlem Runs. We're going to talk more about that here in just a few minutes. Um, fast forward to 2020 and the murder of Ahmaud Arbery uh, while he was on a run here in Georgia, uh, which certainly shook a lot of the running community. And, and we talked about it several times on this podcast before. Um, in that moment, uh, she emerged as a leading voice on increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the running industry. Um, and this book is kind of a part, a continuance of a lot of those efforts to try and increase uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, at running events inside the running industry um, and in the running community and endurance community at large. And so it's it's in part about running and about her experience with running for sure, um, but it doubles as a memoir about just how difficult it is or the difficulties you can face as, as a Black woman in America in the 21st century. Normally, when we, uh, we, when we talk about things, we, we talk about uh, our big takeaways. Um, since I've been talking so much here in the bio, since I just went through the, the, the summary of the book here, do one of you want to start with your big takeaways or you want me to start with mine? I think one of us should start with our big takeaways. <laughs> I'm on board. Eric, why don't you go ahead? So I think before I say anything, I'll, well, I guess this is the biggest takeaway of this for me is um, this book, I've said in the past, some of our book of the quarters have been hard for me to read, um, but they've been more hard based on I wasn't interested in the subject matter or it was dry or I just didn't like the way the story was being told. Mm -hmm. I'd say this book, I was interested in the story. Um, uh, it was not dry. Um, and the way the story is being told, you know, the, the wording of the story is not bad. 
that's what actually kept me coming back to the book because this is the first book I've ever read. I'm pretty sure it's the first book I've ever read where I am clearly defined as the antagonist. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not just, and when I say me, it's, you know, white heterosexual male in the United States. Cisgender and upper middle class male. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and specifically in this book, runner, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You can throw on their coach. You can just about pretty a big portion of my life is defined as the antagonist. And I've never read a book that not just defines that, but it almost slaps you in the face with it mm-hmm. as you're going to the book. And you mm-hmm. and I'll say this can't really argue with any of her points. I actually agree with her points. Um, so it. I but, think but, but, that, but that doesn't make him easy to read, given that you're the antagonist. No, it doesn't make it easy to read. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say this. What kept bringing me back was I was interested in the topic because I like reading things that force me to grow. And a lot of things that force you to grow, much like running, are things that are difficult or mm-hmm. even hurt. So that's what kept, you know, that's what kept bringing me back to the book. So um, I, I think I that's will... an important point, actually. I'm glad that you said that here at the outset about sort of the positionality that we have in coming to this book. Um, Because I'm like you. Um, I am am like the picture of privilege. When when, when I talk about privilege in the classes that I teach, I'm like, this is what privilege looks like. I am a white, abled, raised as a Christian, upper middle class, heterosexual, cisgender male. Um, if, if, If you define a category of privilege... I, I probably check that box, really. Um, right. um, yeah. And but so, you can so, add so, on to that so, for this book. You're a runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're a coach. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, all of these things that she's kind of picking at. And I looked back and I'm like, okay, so I was that kid in high school where every kid on the cross country team was white. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, I do coach. All the people I coach happen to be white. I was a high school coach. All of the cross country runners, you know, were, were, were white you know mm-hmm. it was a it was a christian high school mm-hmm. or it was school it was a middle school and high school but mm-hmm. so it was tough though to just and you can see it coming too it's not mm-hmm. like a fight where like these sneak sneak sucker punches are getting hit you she's very clear oh, yeah. she's very strong in her um opinions and I'll, I'll say it again i don't necessarily disagree with anything that i read in the book that she talked about that what i would say though and I, i've expressed this to the two of you i'm i'm not sure who her audience was for the book uh, i would have hoped that i would have been the audience but her method her messaging i think sometimes the message to me got lost in the messaging or would get lost in the messaging because people just put the book down because you could you think she was slapping you too hard yeah and, that's right yeah and so but i'm sitting there going but i i happen to agree with what you're saying but man that's a that's a gut punch right there yeah and i felt like wow you you could i feel like you could have reached such a wider audience and you could have brought people that you're really saying need to understand this and need to change their ways or change it for the future generations or you know whatever make that change she's looking for in a better manner by by tweaking yeah. the messaging 
And you know, and I, I hear you on that. Um, I, I do, and I and I think as I as I mentioned uh, via text yesterday, I think that this is this conversation is first of all something that that people who are activists and people who advocate for change have always had. You know, is it okay to be incremental? Should you be trying to make the people that you want to change feel welcome and comfortable? Should you sort of slowly and steadily? build up to slapping them in the face, right? Um, and and she doesn't do that. Um, she she makes it clear that that her goal is is not to make white people comfortable, that 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 you can read other things or or take part in other activities where where maybe it would be a little bit incremental, maybe it would be a little bit more gradual, maybe it would be a little bit more comfortable, but the comfort of white people is just not her priority. Um and actually honestly I'm okay with that. Um uh I mean, I began getting slapped with literature of this sort 20 years ago when I was working on my master's degree. Um, and so so maybe I've, I've been slapped enough times now to where it just doesn't hurt me as much. Um, and so so to me, her tone didn't bother me. Um, uh, but yeah, she was definitely very she definitely came on very strong, very straightforward. I mean, look at the subtitle of the book, Finding Freedom in a Sport That Wasn't Built for Us. <laughs> Like you right. said, you knew what you were getting into from the very start. Oh, right. And I think yeah. we all did. Now, yeah. what what I would say, though, is there's a difference between academic literature and a mainstream book. Mm-hmm. And and in her storytelling, you'll notice, well, I noticed, I feel what I read was the book is an accurate reflection of her method of um, operation. Right. It's kind of her her thing. This, and I, I haven't listened to her podcast. I haven't watched a TV show, but I would assume that that is the tone that maybe she approaches, you know, these topics mm-hmm. when she comes across them. So it's, it's mm-hmm. very accurate to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you mentioned you have a choice of whether to, like, beat people up or to um, slowly try to make change. I typically take the, the road of who's the audience. How do I keep the audience in the room? Because if they're not in the room, they're not listening. And and, and that's and again, that's a fair point. I, I will say, you know, I I, I happened and I'm and then we're definitely gonna hear from Michelle. Uh, I was on Goodreads this morning, so I have a book goal this year, as I mentioned during our last podcast. And I was on Goodreads this morning, marking this book as read, and 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 I happened to go to the page for this this book, and out of five stars, its average review is four point seven stars, and it's got thousands of reviews. Um, and so so I will say that that while I agree with you that she comes on very strong, um, I, I, I don't know that we can necessarily say that that she's alienating people through this argument. Um, I think that, that there might be some people that are turned off, but she would probably argue or she could probably argue or one would probably argue that maybe those people aren't receptive to the message anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, so, I, just, I think of it as a you're, she's more speaking to her base than the people she needs to pull in. So, Michelle. Sure. Um, so I think it's important to remember that, you know, Allison is a lot of things like she's a mother. She's a wife. She's an Ivy League graduate. She's a feminist. But I think, you know, she is very much a disruptor. Right. Mm-hmm. She writes from a perspective of activism and um but she very much wanted this book to disrupt or, you know, further ignite this conversation, which 
we've talked a little bit about on here, but never, you know, to the depth at which her book goes into obviously her experience and, sure. you know, what she feels like we all uh, need to be responsible for and the actions that we need to take to quote unquote, right all the wrongs. The issue that I face, and it's similar to Eric, is that I agree with Eric. There's almost nothing in there that did not seem true to me, right? Nothing that I would like argue against or fight against. I more got stuck in the fact that it felt so aggressive. Um, it felt I want to, who, to have these conversations to further the conversations that she's having in the book, to acknowledge her experience and to better understand it. But it put me on so much of a defensive that I would have no idea where to start the conversation because it just felt like it was, you know, it, it was such an intense blaming. And, and I'm not saying that it's not rightfully so, but the way that it was delivered made me feel like, well, what, what do I do now? right? Like what now I'm, now I'm not comfortable. So good job. You've, you know, <laughs> a plus there, which, 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 which is definitely part of the point. Yeah. Keep going. Um, But I am in a place in the running industry. I mean, I, you know, I co-host a podcast and everybody in my podcast. Yeah, that's true. And everybody in my small world, you know, knows that I'm a runner. And I have got an email yesterday from a client asking about running shoes. And it's just, you know, so like a lot of times these worlds collide and I can find myself in situations where I want to be able to have these conversations mm -hmm. and, and speak on these topics. But her book was so much more extreme um, in a way that it just sort of left me like dumbfounded. Like, well, okay. But see, and what, I think that could potentially be now? a good thing, though. I think that could potentially be a good thing. Um, so, so let's let's try and, and, and I'm going to see how well I can and describe this metaphor. But let's say that in terms of aggressiveness, or in terms of the strength of the argument, or the terms in terms of of her making you uncomfortable, let's say that this book was a ten, okay? And 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 then let's imagine a book that instead of being a ten was say like a three, you know. Um, I think that one positive thing about her book being a 10 is that now you're probably going to be much more responsive to a book that's a four or a five. Um, she's kind of broken the seal. And now when you go back and look at other people who are making criticisms, you're going to be much more open to those criticisms because she has put the, the tent stake so far outside of your comfort zone. Um, Maybe, but let me and, just... And, and 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 what's more, I think too, it's hard to say, and we don't have this, but you might feel the same way, even if it was just a three. Um, and honestly, based on some of the literature I've read over the course of the past twenty years, some people would consider this actually like a three. <laughs> you I, know, I believe. And that. so 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 that. if if somebody is is it that she was aggressive, or is it just that these ideas are so uncomfortable? Because, like Eric said, we're the antagonists. So so here's here's my you know, where I really struggle. And this is a very, you know, specific example, but it's what's coming to mind right now. She briefly describes what it's like to be at a race starting line or to show up for a group run and how mm -hmm. the white people, you know, they never acknowledge the black people and they never say hi. And in my mind, and Eric sort of alluded to this when, you know, like we've had these experiences, like that's me. That's me at every single starting line. That's me at every single group run. I am just, you know, if I know somebody like I might be talking to them, but I'm not, I'm not saying hi 
to the black person, but I'm probably not saying hi to anyone, right? Because I'm just naturally, <laughs> it's not that I'm not nice. I'm just not like an extrovert like that. Mm -hmm. But am I not saying hi to the black person at a group run or at the starting line of a race because of like white supremacy, because of learned behaviors growing up or because it's just not my natural inclination to reach out to the person next to me to say hi. Or so both. I felt, or both. So I felt in the book, a lot of like internal confusion and frustration with, well, how much of this is my privilege and my upbringing, my upbringing and my learned behaviors and what society has taught me is right versus wrong versus just like my natural disposition. And, and that's all, that's maybe not that bad of a thing or not and, as bad as she makes me feel. And I think that's exactly the question. I think that's, that's somebody who reads this book, a, a white person who reads this book, like all three of us, that is precisely the question that you should be asking yourself perpetually following reading this book. Because, because I think that, that, that you could continue to go to group runs and go to the, to the starting lines of races and all that sort of thing. And you could think about these sorts of things and you could reflect on these things and, and you can, you can process your own behavior and, and you may ultimately come to the conclusion. No, I'm just in race mode. Like I'm not being unfriendly to you because of white supremacy. I'm being unfriendly to you because this is my personality, or this is just the way that I tend to approach races. Um, and and if you come to that conclusion, that's fine. But what I I think one of the big takeaways is that that she, Allison, wants you thinking, okay, does white supremacy have something to do this with this? D does white supremacy play into the way that I am seeing? Um, this other person who's in the race and the, and the way that I'm treating the other person who's in the race. I think I might've cut you off when you're trying to finish that thought though. No, it's not, it's not a cutoff. The, my kind of action item to my thought is what happens if because of this book, I change my behavior and I make sure that the next time I'm at a group run or the next time I'm at the start of a race, you know, I say hi to the black person or the brown skin, you know, to the, any person of color, like is does she care? Does a person speaking from her perspective, an activist, a disruptor, do they care if me reaching out in a way that I might not have before is genuine and authentic? Or is it good regardless of the reason that I do it because now I'm doing it versus never having done it before? That's a fair question. Yeah. So that's where I struggle because I'm, you know, a little crazy about authenticity. And I, it's like, I don't want to, what changes can I make from reading this book, I guess is what I'm saying, that are genuine and authentic? And if the problem is from a root of white supremacy and it is learned and it is taught by society and it is because of privilege, like how do I fix that versus not take so personally some of the stuff she said that really might, at least from where I'm sitting, have nothing to do with white supremacy? I, and I think that's, and again, I think that's a good outcome for this book. I, I think asking that question of yourself, uh, reassessing your behavior to, to to pause and to think twice about the various actions that you take and 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 the heuristics that you carry in your mind, I, I think that's that's a really good outcome for this book. I do. I think the outcome for me, I just wonder if there was a better outcome if the delivery was a little bit softer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have no idea though. Yeah. I, I like George's, analogy though um and it's sort of like uh i'm, I'm going to bring it to like the runner philosophy right when you go out and do a 
workout that's 2400s at you know what 75 seconds that makes other workouts a lot easier <laughs> if you can complete that workout that makes other workouts a whole lot easier mm -hmm. and it also makes you more likely to do those workouts mm -hmm. so i'm actually kind of coming around george a little bit to this as long as you keep reading the book right as long as the person that starts the book keeps reading the book those slaps those punches maybe if she would have made the book even stronger as she goes towards the end like you would be more open and receptive to these lighter books they'd actually have a bigger impact on you mm -hmm. maybe so um, I, i'm just thinking along though that that analogy you made was actually pretty pretty good well, you know, it's 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 interesting. She says in the book that that when she was um, beginning following the murder of Ahmed Arbery, um, she was beginning, she was taking part in a lot of conversations, mostly via Zoom, um, with people from the running industry who wanted to to address these issues of white supremacy and diversity and equity and inclusion, um, and and initially she was really judgmental. Um, and, and initially she said, you know, this is not my responsibility. I don't want to do this. You're ignorant and that your ignorance is your own damn fault. Um, and, and I can understand where she's coming from with that. Um, not only in terms of just being frustrated by it, but also, um, because there is a history, as she mentions, of, of white expectations of being served by black people, um, or it should be the responsibility of the perpetrators of white supremacy to undo it, as opposed to the victims of white supremacy to undo right. it, right? right. Um, so so I, I get what she was saying with that. Um, but then it wasn't until one of her um, collaborators said, think about it like a couch to 5k program. Like, yeah, they're they're still on the couch, <laughs> and that that like that metaphor really worked for her. Um, yeah. and 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 she started. She continued to be kind of judgy about them over the course of the remainder of the book, which which I sometimes found frustrating. But but um, but she sent that metaphor worked for her. That okay, these people are just on the couch. Well, they've just done their first three minute run, um, and and it takes time. She said at one point she had a quotation that she said, "This work is urgent." but we shouldn't act urgently that we should act yeah. strategically and deliberately. And I really, really liked that quotation. And yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was wise. Yeah. I'd like to go back to something Michelle said, and then I think add to something Michelle said and hopefully get to a, a, a what now type thought. So Michelle, you said it was so uncomfortable that you felt like you were on the defensive. And I wanted to align my experience with that because I take, so I, I read the book, I don't listen to it. And I take my notes in the book. Uh, so it's an Apple, it's an iBook, Apple book, whatever it is. So um, I'm highlighting and taking notes and I, I color code them, agree, disagree, neutral. And then I, I make comments. And I found that most of my comments are defensive in nature. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, and, and I told you on the outset, I agree with what she's doing, but it was, so powerful and pointed at me, the antagonist, that I, and I noticed this, right? I realized that I am being highly defensive here. That's probably a positive thing because um, going to what George just said about like the, who, who should be, you know, pushing the change. The, the, the problem with um, comfort is it builds in complacency, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're sure. at the top of the, the pyramid, 
you're comfortable, so you're complacent. You're like you don't see the things that need to be changed um, so much. And she kind of flipped that over. She's like, hey, you're not comfortable anymore, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make change. So I saw that. But the other thing, I, I think it also up, okay. Before you say your other thing, yep, I yep. think also it's cool too. Not maybe not cool. Well, I do think it's cool, but I also think it's good too that 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 she makes us feel uncomfortable in the way that she has so often herself felt uncomfortable. Yeah, this book was not a, a white space. So so no, it wasn't. And she and she, <laughs> she talks about how she's forced to, to, to operate in white spaces and how uncomfortable that can be. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I think that that part of be, part of white probably the keystone of white privilege in, in the United States is that we can kind of be comfortable in almost any space. Right. right? Um, uh, we can be successful and and never have to go into a place where we feel uncomfortable. Um, and so she gave us a taste of what it's like to be uncomfortable like that. And again, back to our privilege, we were able to close the book, right, and go back into to to our white world right. here. Um, but I, but I think that that's a valuable taste um, of what it is that that uh, people of color have to deal with all the time, almost yeah. all the time. And it pushed. I haven't figured out how to do this. But it pushed into my brain, I need to figure out a way to ask people who I know, people of color who I know, like, I, I want to tease this out with them if I can, like, can, can you explain to me how you feel about this? Right. I don't know how to have that conversation, but I'm, I'm going to try to figure it out and, and say, like, how do you feel about this? And Vizumzi is easy because, yes, he's black, but he's South African black. He's not you know, he's African. He's not a United States citizen, but he is sort of my inroad to some of these conversations because he's able to kind of flow back and forth. And his country, man, talk about being messed up. Like it's it's just as bad. But I think they're actually way more open about this kind of thing than than we are. Um, but so let me let me get to that second point though, George. And that was uh, Michelle was talking about like who she is and how that determines how she acts. Mm -hmm. One thing I got out of this book is. No bones about it. I am a product of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Whether I want to admit it or not, I'm a yeah. product of it. Mm -hmm. The question is, though, do I have white supremacist tendencies? Am I a white supremacist? Do I take advantage of that position that I've been put in uh, in a way that uh, disadvantages others? And I think that leads into the, the, the what now for me. Yeah, I don't want to walk away from this book without a what now. And those are the kinds of questions that in my comfort, I'm complacent about. I don't really think about them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was like my my big, big takeaway from this book is the what now. And I just alluded to one of them is like to try to figure out how to further this conversation, not with white people, <laughs> maybe maybe afterwards with them. But um, I need to find some people of color that I can talk to about this stuff and say, Look, I read this book. This might sound a little weird, but I, I want to ask you some questions because I want to know how I can be a better boss. I can be a better father. I can be a better husband. I can be a better coach from this book. See, and I, I think, OK, a couple of things. First of all, you mentioned like being a product of and, and, and having having uh, having ingested white supremacist messages and they're, they're bound to influence you. And they are. And that's not that doesn't make you a bad person anymore. That makes either one of us a bad person. Um, but but you're, you, you are a product of your environment. She mentioned um, a very famous piece of writing about white privilege um, by a woman named Peggy McIntosh uh, that came out about 30 or 40 years ago at this point. Um, but she refers to white privilege as a knapsack. It's like a backpack that you're always wearing. 
Um, and I, and I, I've always thought that's a very useful metaphor that you might not want it, but you're, you're constantly carrying it. It's just kind of part of, of your operating in the society. Um, but as far as like learning more from, from the diverse people around you, what I would suggest, and by all means, I encourage our, our diverse listeners um, to, to reach out and, and, and let us know what they think. I would suggest you don't force those conversations that you just make a point to sort of be in more diverse spaces. And I think that the, those things will arise a little bit more organically and naturally. Um, that's a good uh, point. And so, so I, th- th- that, that's kind of, that's kind of what I think. Um, so, go ahead, uh, Michelle. The gut feeling I have when you say that just to make a point to be in more diverse spaces and what I take from the book is, are we really wanted in those diverse spaces? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't get the impression. <laughs> like maybe she doesn't want you in this. No, she, she actually came around on that. I think when she was well, first well, no, Harlem, Harlem, Run. Harlem Harlem Runs was a diverse space from the start. She said, "Yeah, from, well, from the very start." When, initially, Harlem she Runs only had woman. right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Up. Literally, the first person who showed up for for a Harlem Runs run was a white woman. Yeah. By the way, um, I don't know who this woman is, but to show up every single week with Allison and for her call, like this is this is a woman I, you know. People ask on the podcast. Yeah. Like if you could have (laughs) coffee with anybody, I'm like, I want to have coffee with this woman. I want to hear what it was like being the only white person at a Harlem, you know, runs group every single week. The only person whatsoever. Anyway. um, Which, which, which in turn would give you a glimpse into what it's like for people like Allison who have to be the only black person at at, at a lot of group runs and distance runs or be a person like Corey to, to Corey Waltering, who we talked to last year, to be the only the only black person showing up at the starting line of a trail race, of an ultra race. Um, that's obviously uncomfortable, right? Um, I would say- He increases his comfort though in what he wears as his race uniform. <laughs> which is something Anyways, that I have-, I have which We is are not that I've going adopted there. For myself. Yeah, but, <laughs> okay. but we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, for sure. We're going to talk about what Corey wears on another podcast, um, but- <laughs> but, but, but- But to your point about, about, about our folks welcome there, I think that for the most part, the answer is it depends. Um, I, I think that there are spaces that, that are designed for uh, a wide array of people and, and are, are specifically intended to, to, to create a more diverse running community. Um, and in those spaces, everybody is welcome. Everybody should be welcome. I think that there are other spaces that are expressly created as a, as a space where uh, Black people or people of color are trying to to have their own space and be more comfortable in their own space. And I think that in in that situation, uh, showing up a white person would basically be like an invader. Um, and so so I really just think it depends on the group. Um, she was pretty adamant that Harlem Runs is an overall inclusive space. It's a it's a space that's inclusive of everyone who's willing to uh, uh, embrace the, the the diversity, equity and inclusion goals of the group, um, for sure. Um, so one, one thing on go, the, go ahead. the, this it's probably my, the only critique I've brought up so far, I turned around and said, what's well, positive. So she comes on strong <laughs> with us. So I will, I, I would like to ask, it's more of a question to you too, because it's something that I read and I didn't know, I don't know if you read into it. I constantly felt like she thought she feels, at least in the, in the bounds of this book, she was the only one doing it right. Mm-hmm. Every time she stepped out of side of Harlem run, oh, that's just some, if it wasn't white supremacy, it was some male, you know, 
trying to tell her what to do with another run crew or they were they were doing it wrong over here we're doing everything right like I, she she mentions a few things that she did wrong in her history but they're like these real quick things there's never yeah that was bad choice i shouldn't have done that she just kind of moves on right mm -hmm. but she was very like harlem run they did everything right we were so friendly we built it we did this this and this but everybody they're yelling and screaming and they're not inclusive and they're trying to tell me what to do i just kind of got tired of that i, well, so, I don't know yeah I, I i see your point i i think that that i think that 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 does kind of come through a little bit um that that message does sort of rise up i i think that by the end i think that that, that she she begins to acknowledge that a little bit more by the end um I, I think that in when she's going through the various groups, I did think a lot of that stuff was very interesting. Um, and some of it, I think some of her descriptions were were to me spot on. When she described one of the images that sticks out to me in the book, she described going to a different running group that was mostly men that met within sight of Gracie Mansion, um, uh, the mayor's residence there in New York City. Um, and it's dark. It's pre-dawn. And they're like yelling and jumping up and down and cussing and all that sort of thing. And one of her first thoughts was a big group of black people can do this. And she's totally right. Like people would be calling the cops um, and and they're able to get away with this. This is white privilege in action because people are like, oh, it's a workout group. You know, I, I, I just thought that was sort of a, a, a fascinating image that was stuck in my mind after she said it. Um but no, I think she ultimately does come around to, okay, there's other people that are doing this. But I think that when she's describing, I think that when she describes her building Harlem runs, she did feel very alone. She did feel very isolated. She did feel like she was the only person who was out there doing it. And even if she's not right about that, I think that's the way she felt. And I think that's what she's expressing in that recounting. Yeah. I don't know. It just it just kind of like, okay, I got it. You're you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Everybody else isn't doing it wrong though. Mm -hmm. And it it was almost like she she set up these walls and said, I'm the only one doing it right. And you're right. Later on, I guess she she softened that message. But I think it would have been easier for her to have or acknowledge good examples. That because mm -hmm. good examples did exist. Mm -hmm. And she so that that was just something. I think she and just it, wasn't it, finding them. I think that's kind of what she was saying. But, is that she just wasn't but why not? the same thing for her saying, like, I'm not finding out the fact that, you know, my white privilege and I'm not I'm not doing those things like, well, OK, you're not finding the good examples that you could be building your club off of. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I, I think that the maybe the larger lesson there and maybe the reason why she included in the book is to say that it shouldn't be this hard for someone like her to find a welcoming group. That could be. Could be, um, yeah. And and so so I think maybe that's the larger lesson there, um, um, but but yeah, her going around to the various groups I I, I did think was, was was sort of an interesting thing. Um, Eric, you're gonna have to roll out here in just a minute. I I think that that um, there's a couple other things I wanted to mention real quickly. One thing, and this is a very non-controversial takeaway, um, um, and one of my big things that I appreciated about the book was just the uplift of running, you know. Um, and and the the fact that she goes through this period of depression and that she finds running and running enriches her and and gives her uplift and she wants to share that with other people because running is a good thing. We've talked a lot on this podcast before about trying to extend the enriching benefits of endurance sports to a wider 
array of people. We've said that very phrase on multiple occasions, um, whether those people are disabled or whether those people are black or whether those people are gay or whatever it happens to be. Like it needs to be a big, open, welcoming tent. And I think this book shows why, um, because she was able to be bettered and uplifted by running. Um, and, and you want it to be a space where everybody can take advantage of those enriching aspects of running, not just certain people, um, from a particular racial background. Um, and I think it's interesting too, because she sort of departed from, uh, the idea that we so often have about running that, that it's democratic and anybody can do it. I'm currently literally reading another book right now where the author probably has said that 10 times in the book. It's so good. Anybody can do it. Running's the most open sport in the world. And she's arguing it's actually not so open and, and we need to do things to make it more welcoming, more open. And that's something that I very much appreciated. Um, Eric, get your last word. And then I, I want to talk about one more thing with Michelle, because I know you got to go, man. I think my thing is I hope more people read this book. Maybe I can be an agent to get people to read this book and finish it. Um, because I think it's got a good message. It was tough to read, um, but I think it's got a good message and it's, it's already made some change in me and I'm hoping I can actually make more. So, and then I appreciate the two of you having this discussion with me because this, this wasn't easy. Mm -hmm. So, but that's what we do. We don't do easy things. So right on. thanks a lot, both of you. Um, Why not? Why don't we do easy things? <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure so, it out. Sometimes you just want to do easy things, right? Yeah, I do. We're, we're sitting here talking about the next book we're going to read. And, and, and we haven't decided what the next book of the quarter is going to be just yet. But we all kind of agree it needs to be something that's a little bit easier. And that's not because we're like, we're done doing hard stuff. But I think it's just because this was hard enough for two quarters. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like I'm going to continue thinking about a lot of these things and, and, and examining my behaviors. I'm not ready to take on a whole bunch more difficult ideas here over the course of the next three months. I want to take on some some very simple ideas over the course of the next three months here. Um, all right, Michelle, last thing I want to talk about, um, and then and then we, we can give you some last thoughts here as well. Um, my favorite chapter of the book was one that, that, that I want to know your thoughts of, and that's when she talked about the Boston Marathon. Because um, it's history. So, so yeah. And, and, and she talked about how, um, she basically went out and ran a half marathon and ran pretty well in the half marathon. And then she started thinking, well, you know, maybe I can qualify for Boston. And then other people started saying to her, well, maybe you can qualify for Boston. And she thought about it and she's like, I don't want to qualify for Boston. I don't have any interest in running that race. Um, and then she basically took the whole chapter and went to town on, the whole concept of the Boston Marathon. She says people talk about it's it's so great and it's so historic. And what they're talking about is that it's exclusive um, and that anytime anybody wants to, to change the exclusivity of it, people always say, oh, but it's so historic. And if you change it and, and you make it less exclusive, you're going to weaken it. And she says, that's contrary to my entire mission. Um, I am trying to, to make running more inclusive of a wire array of people and, and the Boston Marathon is fundamentally exclusive. I, yeah. I, thought it, I thought it was a fascinating chat. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, I have to be honest, when I said at the beginning, like, now what? You know, what do I do next? This chapter left a incredibly distasteful view or feeling uh, in my heart, in my mind, for the Boston Athletic Association and the Boston Marathon. And, you know, I remember when she talks about 
is the board, is it a hundred and, oh, you can be a member, right? And it's 120 mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And look at the exclusivity of that and and why hasn't that changed and, and why isn't that more diverse and what does it take? You know, those people are the people that keep it this white agency, this white union or club. Um, and I loved the history part of it, but I feel for her. I mean, I think it's hard to to be in this space of distance and sorry, of running and distance running and and really look into the history and understand what the Boston Athletic Association and the Boston Marathon stands for and the big picture, you know, of the story that she's lived out and that she's trying to tell and the change that she's trying to make. Mm -hmm. Because she's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is a very exclusive white place to be. Mm -hmm. You know, um, especially on on Patriots Day, and especially if you are a participant or a spectator of the Boston Marathon. Right. Um, it took a lot to. I found it hard to get through that chapter mm -hmm. because she's, in all ways, condemning something that that I I love and I and I want to keep loving, but and she's right when she's doing it. You've said and that several she's times. Right. Oh yeah. 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 No, it's it's yeah. Which just. I'm just continuing to uphold the, you know, like built on white supremacy part of the Boston Athletic Association and the Boston Marathon. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the short term, I think what you can do is is you can push back on all these people who say, oh, well, you're not a real qualifier for Boston if you do a charity slot. You're not a real qualifier for Boston unless you qualify and things like that, which I feel good about the fact that I've I've done that over I've the always, course of the past yeah. few years. Um, I've always been pretty okay with that. Yeah, and I I have too. Um, but but just continuing to 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 encourage it to be a a less exclusive space, but, I think is a positive thing. Um, okay, go ahead. But what I guess what I don't understand is, does she want the BAA and the Boston Marathon to change? Like, what is what is her ideal? outcome of giving us all of that information mm -hmm. yeah I, I i think that that what what yeah she does want it to change but she wants it to change but she wants no part in it in the meantime right like change and then i'll participate kind of like, yeah i mean she has run boston a couple of times now mind you but 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 um but but in part yeah um she she's saying she's saying that that you all need to change and it's your responsibility to change yourself. It's not my responsibility to change you. Um, and and again, she as as time went on, she kind of adopted more of that couch to five k mentality that she was willing to be more helpful and more patient with individuals and institutions that were trying to change. Um, but I, I understand that point of view of her saying, you all need to change, you all need to diversify, you all need to be less exclusive, you all need to be more inviting and more welcoming to a wider array of people. Okay. Uh, and, but, and you need to do that. You don't need to expect me to do that for you. I can't okay. even do that for you anyway. Then we're, what I don't understand, and I don't, and I feel like I keep beating my head against the wall and saying the same thing, is what does she want? When I run Boston and I my Boston finishes, I am, you know, kind of like middle to the top, whatever to the top middle of the pack, right? Like I'm not in the top third, but I'm not that far out of it. I'm just like one of 10,000 people that run the race on that day. What do I do to like, to help move her message forward? 
I'm just this person that flies in from Atlanta and wants to be in my jacket on the plane with everybody else. Like, you know, like, but, but, but I think, I think you do what you're doing right now. You, you, you question it, you talk about it, you engage in conversations. And we on the podcast, when we talk about the Boston marathon, we, we inform our comments and our viewpoints with, with some of these ideas. I think that's what you do. I think that's what we do. Um, you know, it's funny, like on this note, I actually found myself thinking a lot about the mission of the podcast at the tail end of this book. I was like, what are we trying to do with this podcast? Like, maybe we should be more express and more explicit about this podcast. But that's a conversation I suppose we can, can continue another time. <laughs> I, I, I do think, though, but on this note, um, we've talked on the podcast over the course of the past month or so about how there's been changes to the Ironman World Championship. Um, and I found myself thinking a lot about the changes to the Ironman World Championship and the the efforts that that Ironman has made um, to diversify their field um, and about how people have been extremely critical of that. And and so I think that that this mindset um, that that she encourages people to take on against exclusivity. Um, I, I think that, that that's the first step is to start taking on this mindset and applying it when we're engaging in conversations and even just reflections on issues inside of the endurance sporting community. Um, that's what I think. Well, um, it doesn't mean you can't run Boston. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know? know. It doesn't mean we can't talk about Elliot Kipchoge run in Boston. Of course, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that 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 we need to make sure that we're talking about Oh, oh, a wide sure. array of people who are running Boston and and what and we, and we need to praise the, the the Boston Athletic Association if and when they make efforts to actually make themselves less exclusive. Um, she did say and that that uh, two days before the Boston Marathon, there is an event called the 26 point true that's put on by the Pioneers Running Club. Um, uh, and it. It's not a sanctioned race, um, but they put out about 12 different water stations and it runs through uh, a wider array, a more diverse array of neighborhoods in Boston. Um, and of course, people of all ability welcome uh, levels are welcome to do it. I went on the website of, of the 26 Point True, and now I'm toying with the idea of actually going to Boston on Marathon Weekend, running the 26 Point True on Saturday and then watching Elliot Kipchoge compete on Monday. Well, I want to do that. Who's with me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll do that. <laughs> so, so, all right, cool. I mean, you know, I, uh, I I'm is already it, is messing. Is it still going to my... be Annette downhill, and do we have to run up Heartbreak Hill? Can you just give me a little bit more information? So, well, the the the, the course map is actually on the the twenty six point true website there, uh, and so ah, so yeah, okay. go on there and check it out. Maybe that'll be something we talk about a little bit more over the course. Of what does the name so. come from? Like, what is um, 26 point true. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's uh, the, the true representation of Boston. Um, oh, okay. As, as opposed to, to the, the sanitized uh, uh, whitewash Boston version Marathon? of Boston. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you get on Monday. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. So very okay. good. Very good. Sounds um, good. All right. And last thing I know I said that was going to be my last word, but last thing I do want to say um, is that towards the very end of the book, she does give a shout out to the Atlanta track club for doing good work. Um, oh, and on that note, I was happy to she see will be here for uh, Publix Marathon weekend. So right. she does have a book signing. She will be speaking. Um, looking forward to hopefully saying hey that weekend when she's in town. 
Awesome. Very good. But yeah, she, she talks about the Atlanta track club as, as not only um, uh, diversifying their governance, but also diversifying a lot of their marketing materials and uh, uh, staging races in neighborhoods where, where races haven't always been staged and, and things like that. And so uh, kudos to front of the podcast, Rich Kana and everybody at the Atlanta track club for doing it right. Um, that, that, that kind of fired me up. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, fun to be, uh, you know, part yeah. of an organization that uh, while they might not be leading the way for the change, they are part of uh, making a way for change. So absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Michelle, last word. I am not picking the next book. <laughs> <laughs> I It's either going to have to be a two thirds majority or one of you guys. Uh... So this was it. I'm glad we read this book. This was a good book. And I was thinking about it, too. Like I gave you a hard time about Bravey by Alexi Pappas. Um, uh, which I did not think was a very good book. Um, uh, but every other book we've read, including all the ones that you suggest have been fantastic. They've been really, really good. This book I thought was interesting, uh, in standing in contrast with Danielle Friedman's book, by the way, uh, let's get physical, which of course we read and we had Danielle on the podcast. Um, uh, I criticized Danielle's book because I felt like she didn't slap hard enough. I felt like there were a couple sure. of places where she stopped short of taking the argument all the way to its logical conclusion, specifically that she should have been indicting capitalism more than she was. Um, and she didn't for the sake of bringing along a larger- But I think that was careful on larger, part. I do. Yeah. Um, for, I, I, think it was, I think it was calculated to bring along and be welcoming to a wider audience. Allison didn't do that. <laughs> she did not give a fuck. <laughs> nope. So, so Allison didn't do that for sure. For sure. Um, all right, Michelle, thank you for reading this important book with me. And uh, I look forward to talking to you more next week. Sounds good. Have a good afternoon. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, on Instagram at mostpleasantexhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at itlcoaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. You can find them on Instagram at itlcoaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelloncpa.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.